Sam. Yeah, Don? What's the word? Halt. H-A-L-T? Yes. Am I hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Where'd you hear that? I I heard heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collective voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Hiya, Sam. Did you know that studies show that alcohol damages short-term memory? Can you imagine what alcohol would do? Hmm. I'm pretty sure that goes at the end of the show, Don. (laughs) (laughs) Was that you at the wit's end with that one? Exactly. You have already got me at my wit's end. I saw that on the internet and it cracked me up. (laughs) There's some good ones out there. We need a meme channel. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, Don, I got something that I've been wanting to talk about this. It's really stuck with me. I will often take a a line, a quote or a phrase or something and email it to myself. So that's like always showing up as a subject of an email in my inbox, just as a reminder. Ah, This thing is still, it's sitting there, but I don't need that reminder. What is that? And I loved my pride. So I watched the movie Cyrano, the the recent one. Uh I know the story of Cyrano de Bergerac but I've never read it. I've never watched a movie. Me neither. So I finally watched it and really enjoyed it. Quickly, the story is about this man who uh, is in love with a woman, but he can't possibly tell her. And so he winds up feeding lines of love to the man that she's interested in. At the end of the movie, I'm totally giving away a story, but it's really, really old. (laughs) (laughs) Cyrano is dying in this woman's arms. She is telling him, I knew it was you all along. I loved you. And his dying words are, and I loved my pride. Mm. And that has, it struck me in such a way. I've embarked on something in the past year, a career in voice acting. That is new stuff for me. There's a lot of discomfort there. I don't have an acting background at all. I don't have theater or anything like that. I'm an introvert, and I have never been a stage person. Except that you've been doing a podcast. Yeah, but nobody gets to see me. That's different. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Doing uh, this type of thing requires me to get out of my comfort zone. Big Mm. time. That phrase has stayed with me in doing that. What does it mean to you? Well, it means that my ego is going to get in the way. It has gotten in the way for so many years of me doing things that require me to maybe look bad or be uncomfortable. This business of going up and starting a conversation with someone because they have something that I want. Ooh, this sounds like recovery. I don't really have anything to give them. The whole conversation is out of balance. So there's this self-consciousness that I carry. Well, this And I loved my pride is that reminder of get the ego out of the way and just go and say the things that you want to say to the people that you want to talk with. Go and do the things that you need to do, like go and sign up for an acting class and then show up and stick it out and do it, even though it's uncomfortable. Get the ego out of the way is wholly what 
and I loved my pride means to me. Because with Cyrano, his ego was the problem. So it's like, ask for what you want. Ask for what you want. Take the steps forward, even though they're uncomfortable. It's okay to put yourself in situations where you might look bad. It's that ego. Yeah. And I love that this continued journey in recovery makes me open to learning more about the way I act in the world. Yeah. You know, I love that it shows up in various places, including just watching a movie. Hey, you know, the thing about recovery is I don't always have to trust my thinking. <laughs> yeah. That's... My, my thinking might not be reliable. Trust me, Don. I don't trust your thinking either. <laughs> Well, I trust that you will for the next 40 minutes or so. <laughs> Who's our guest today? Don, our guest today is Allie C. from Pawpaw, Michigan. She's got an article in the February 2023 issue of The Grapevine. Oh, Pawpaw, Michigan. Yes, we had to do a little research on that. The pawpaw is a fruit-bearing tree, right? Way down yonder in the park. I wonder if there's a pawpaw patch in Allie's backyard. Let's find out. <laughs> and now a word from our sponsors. We don't have sponsors? What are you thinking? Oh, yeah, we don't do the commercial sponsor thing. Since the grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazine, on our website, or in our podcast. Grapevine doesn't even accept donations from AA members. If you want to support Grapevine and this podcast, visit aagrapevine.org store. Allie C. I'm an alcoholic from Pawpaw, Michigan, and I do not have a pawpaw patch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we got that, that straight. That you know of, at least. I mean, have well, you ever you know seen what? a pawpaw tree? No, I haven't. So now I'm thinking I'm going to have to see what it looks like because I could have one and just not even know it. <laughs> out there. Well, Allie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Allie, what was going on with you inside when you decided to come to Alcoholics Anonymous? Mm. My first introduction to AA was court-ordered. My own thinking didn't even get me in the door. <laughs> the nudge from the judge. <laughs> Don't trust your thinking. Trust the judge. I have never heard that. The nudge from the judge. Yeah. Big saying here. I'm so grateful that AA allows that to happen, mm -hmm. you know, because we have a really good, it's called sobriety court program here too, where um, people with driving under the influence offenses mm -hmm. get into this sobriety court program helps keep you accountable as far as, you know, but you have things you have to do, like going to a certain number of meetings, you have to have a job or be doing community service. And so I was uh, fortunate enough to get that program when I had my second DUI. What immediately comes to mind for me is I walked into AA, I didn't get a nudge from the judge, mm -hmm. but I was so defeated from my drinking that I came to AA. Right. If I had I think I would feel resentment at the judge, which this would be bad for AA. Yet I know that a whole lot of people get sober. Through a court program. Through the court a lot program. of people do. And I think for me, and I did end up drinking again. 
it was really hard for me to see how bad my addiction was Mm -hmm. because you're still in the thick of it. And so it's almost like a forced drying out period for people. It's like the cloud lifts and all of a sudden they can really see their alcoholism and be hearing these stories. And so I know a lot of people in our county and the county next to us who have gotten sober through a court program when they didn't think that's what they wanted. I can imagine. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily, as you said, you wound up drinking again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the the thing that happens is that you got acquainted with AA. Right. That seed was planted. Yeah. I remember hearing if you're an alcoholic, AA is going to ruin your drinking. <laughs> and when I went back and started drinking, ruined. I mean, absolutely ruined. In what way? Like, because when I first came into AA, I clung to that obsession that I was going to control and enjoy my drinking one day. I wanted to stop for a while. You know, I really thought once I have a drying out period for a while, I'm just going to be able to handle it again. When I started drinking again, and that instant, you know, that phenomenon of craving hit, where I was like, oh, right, it is the first drink that gets me drunk. It was like, I couldn't be in denial anymore. And so I just never enjoyed it again, because the whole time I knew what was going to happen if I kept drinking, you know, the jails, institutions or death, I knew it, it was just like a ticking time bomb of when it was going to happen. But I knew it was. And so I just never really enjoyed it again. Now, it didn't stop me. You know, I drank for nine months was my relapse period. Mm -hmm. And it was hell. I don't mind relapse being part of my story at all, because I really kept thinking I'd hit a bottom, you know, but bottom Mm -hmm. is when you stop digging. (laughs) It is. I had to really get that spiritual sickness. Were you trying to control it during that time? I was trying to control it. To not be an alcoholic. Right. And it was hard because I was in my 20s. I was 26. Oh, yeah. I first quit drinking at 22. I had a bout of sobriety from 22 to 23, drank for a year and then was sober from, you know, 25 to 20. It was hard. I was like, I'm still so young. You know, I'd go to meetings and I was like, I don't want to be an alcoholic yet. There's people here that come in in their 40s and 50s. Like, why couldn't that happen to me? I get it. Yes. (laughs) That alcoholic thinking. It's like this stopping drinking thing is good for, you know, an occasional drying out. But forever? No. Right. I love the one day at a time program because that I could manage when I would do those drying out periods. I couldn't wrap my head around the forever. So it was almost like I was always planning a relapse. I had a lot of FOMO. I really, I had these like fantasies in my head of why my life would be less than if I didn't get to experience them. And so it was that I wouldn't get to have champagne at my wedding. Now I didn't even have a boyfriend (laughs) and that I wouldn't be able to sip wine on a vineyard in Italy. You know, like I just had these delusions of great I don't you know just like you would be able to sip wine (laughs) right you know and like the reality was right like I didn't have a boyfriend and I wouldn't have wanted you know no one would have wanted to date me I was a sloppy lying cheating stealing drunk and so you know and yeah money to travel to Europe like not happening so (laughs) when I did finally get sober you know my sobriety dates August 8th 2016 You know, I'd been off the court program. I still went to meetings. I will say that even if I was drinking, because I loved 
the people there, like you guys were even talking about the beginning. It was the first time it seemed like where I'd met a group of people who just wanted to help me and they didn't want anything from me, you know? Like that was just totally new to me as far as I always write, felt like I had to have something to give Mm -hmm. or if they're helping me, it's like, well, what do you want now? You know, I didn't want to owe anybody because life for me was all about like, what can I get away with and how can I do it the easier, softer way? That was really my MO. And when we come in, it's hard to believe that other people aren't operating from that. Right. And it's a, it's a little unbelievable too. I mean, we come in, like you said, just hopeless, defeated, discouraged, you know, not wanting to be an alcoholic, not, you know, and there's all these people laughing and smiling. And I was like, mm, I don't believe this, you know, like this can't be what it, how can you guys be happy about this? And now that's who I am at meetings. You know, I love. Oh, really? Out. So something happened? Right. Yes. Yeah, so something happened. So, but I, so that's what, so I always still went to meetings, but I just wasn't sharing. Okay. And I wasn't telling people what was going on, you know? And I love that too. I could, I just showed up, sat down and I left as soon as the meeting was done. Mm-hmm. But I really like, I mean, over the whole time, I picked up on so many things people were saying, like the keep coming back. Don't quit before the miracle happens. You know, like it was all sinking in. It was just, I needed to go a little further down, but all those things really contributed to it. And so that's why I'm so fortunate that AA lets people come in when they're still drinking, you know? Yeah, it's a, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. Right. And even if you don't have a desire, you can still come. <laughs> right. Because I did, I really wanted to want to stop drinking. But I really, I just wasn't ready yet. Cause I, like I said, I just was still holding on to this idea that my life wasn't going to be as good without alcohol. You know, when I finally quit drinking in August of 2016, I said I was going to quit for 30 days because that was what I could wrap my head around at the time. Mm -hmm. And that 30 days happened. And I said, okay, I'm going to go for another 30. So you were doing the 30 day at a time program. Doing the 30 day at a time program. (laughs) You haven't heard of that one, have you? So no. It was so amazing. You know, it's, I'll look back and it's like, I don't know why that time it worked. What happened was I woke up one morning and I have a daughter. I looked over at my daughter's like sweet face in the morning and I was just filled with like so much gratitude and love and joy. And I finally, the thought just came into my head that I was like, oh my gosh, my life will be better without alcohol. That was just the turning point that it took for me. Okay, like I'm going to do this. Like I am done drinking. It's interesting how that happens. For me, I took what I thought was my last drink after trying to kill myself Mm -hmm. and came back into the rooms. I'd gone out for like six months or so and then came back in after that attempt, got like 40 days or so and drank again. Mm -hmm. And then something flipped. It wasn't something I could make happen. It was something I had to let happen. And then it did. And it was just this subtle change, but it was a huge subtle change. Right. Yeah. I didn't know how significant it was at the time. Six years later, it's like, wow, that was it. That was the moment. Well, it sounds like for both of you, the final surrender came from hope being instilled by AA, coming to AA and seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas for me, I had no idea what AA was. My last drink was just a complete surrender 
because I saw completely that there was no hope for me to ever control this. I'm an alcoholic and this is going to get worse and worse. I'm going to lose everything. And so I came in and surrendered that way. And then I found the hope after a couple of weeks and saw people laughing and being happy and like, what are they? For me, it seemed like all the people in AA had this light shining out of them, Mm -hmm. out of their faces. And I was like, and I was in this, you know, like a gnarly dog in the corner going, (laughs) I don't know about this. (laughs) Yeah. One of the things that I heard every single one of us relapses Some of us do it all before we come into the rooms, and then some of us do it after we come into the rooms, but all of us relapse. Yeah. So, Allie, what was difficult in AA? What was an obstacle that you saw ahead of you that you had to really surrender and give up to be able to do it? Um, My first few years of being sober did not feel challenging. (laughs) I mean, I just, and I think it's because my bottom felt so low for me. Like I just couldn't imagine because I knew if I picked up again, it was going to get worse. Did you work the steps? Yeah. So once I decided like, yep, this is it. I got a sponsor. I've picked out someone who really had what I wanted, still does (laughs) like so many qualities that I want. I've had different sponsors when I was in court programs. So I've had the ones that are like, call me every day for 30 days. And this is when your steps are done and all that. And she was a lot softer. She was kind of like, it's up to you, which I really, you know, I think both style, any style works. It really Mm -hmm. depends on the person. Yep. You know, she's just like, I'm here for you when you're ready. I love that there's 12 steps in 12 months. So I kind of set myself up on a little schedule that I was going to, try to work a step a month to keep on track. But if it, you know, I needed more time somewhere, I was going to be flexible. And so that's what I did. And she works out of a a book. It's a sponsorship book. So there's kind of like questions on each step and, you know, the corresponding AA readings. I've used that book. I suspect it's the same one. And it's really, then the beginning has like questions about sponsoring and sponsorship. So it was really amazing. And I think I finished right under a year of beginning the steps. And when I was at 11 months, I was asked to be a sponsor. Sponsoring other women has been super vital to my recovery, you know, and I was very adamant. I knew I wanted to do service work in treatment centers and in jails and institutions because I had been to both. So, uh, so when I had a month, I started going into the treatment center, you know, whoever's chairing has to have a year, but you can, Mm -hmm. anyone else can go. Well, and you going in there with a month was so much more relatable to the folks in there. Right. It is. It is to these women, you know, and then um, I had to have a year and a half before I went into the jails. And so I was counting down. I couldn't wait. And I loved the jail meetings. We're still not able to go right now because of COVID. It's taken a long time for jails to open up. Really long time. So those were super important for me too. We call them our gratitude meetings, you know, because you leave there just so grateful that you're not in there anymore. And it's so inspiring to see that people in those places, they do have hope still, or, you know, like they're willing to be vulnerable, especially the jail men in jail, sharing like openly and vulnerably about alcoholism and saying they want to change. It was not what I expected. It just is really inspiring to me. Like they can keep going. So, so can I. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 
So what does a week in your life look like today, recovery-wise? Oh, okay. Um, I have a women's meeting on Monday night that's in person that I go to. My morning routines are pretty sacred to me. So, you know, my mornings start out with meditation and prayer. Uh, I usually do some daily reading. I've got about seven books, so I can't do all of them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, some reading from a book to try to get centered, you know. Well, how do you do that with a child? Oh, so I get up at 4 a.m. Oh, wow. That is my routine. <laughs> now, that's some commitment. It is. Well, I go to bed early. I'm a morning person, and I get my alone time in the mornings. Yeah. And then, you know, I always I love praying in the car on my way to work. It's almost my favorite time to pray. It's just my my little quiet time, get ready for the day. You know, I have two or three uh, sponsees or women in the program that I usually text with on a daily basis. But I chaired a Zoom meeting all through COVID. I just stopped that over the summer because of my second job. I couldn't anymore. So I usually do at least one Zoom meeting a week, too. I have three sponsees right now that I work with. I'm in contact with my sponsor. I, there's a lot of different ways to do steps. I'm also a member of another 12-step fellowship. And so right now I'm actually doing step work. We have a whole workbook and I'm doing a 15-week step study guide workshop mm -hmm. right now. So it's really neat to just dive into the steps deeper because, you know, for all other 12-step fellowships, you know, if you just take out that one word in step one, I am powerless over blank. I mean, the rest are all the same. So it's just, it's always yeah, applicable to me, no matter what, because it's, it's me, you know, the, the alcohol is just a symptom of my disease. I know? didn't understand that statement when I came in for the longest time. What does that mean? Alcohol is a symptom. You know, it's like you take away the alcohol and it was like a lot of things got better right away. You know, especially I definitely had a pink cloud. I, and it was really fun. You know, I had that big pink cloud, just meaning like so many of my problems were solved right away as far as like physically, I'm not sick anymore. So mm -hmm. I suddenly have energy now, you know, um, financially, I'm not spending all my money on alcohol. Things are better. <laughs> you know, I'm showing up to work on time. So a lot of that was resolved. And then at like month two or three, suddenly all the emotions and trauma, embarrassing things that I'd done, all that stuff that I'd stuffed and numbed with booze all started coming up. And it was like, oh, gosh, you know, I have to face this now and deal with this. When you get sober, you'll feel better. And by that, I mean, you'll feel everything, better. Right. <laughs> everything, right? Yeah. You know, so that's why I know that's why the steps are there. So I'm so glad that they're in the order that they are. But pinpointing my defects was really because they just were so glaring by then, you know, it was like, mm -hmm. oh, right. Like I'm a person who procrastinates. That's a big defect of mine it was still talked about uh, at the beginning. Like I still having that mindset of like, what can I get away with? Because mm -hmm. lying was something I'd done as a child. You know, if I don't mm -hmm. get caught, it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So that started coming up. And I found too, I don't know if I'm wired differently, if we all are, you know, I'm a really big pleasure seeker mm -hmm. and that can definitely turn into selfishness, that toxic self-centeredness, you know, where it was like, I just thought I was entitled to feel good all the time, you know, and it's like, well, I deserve to be happy. And so I'm just going to do whatever I have to do to be happy. And it's like, well, no, actually I don't, I'm not going to get to do what I want all the time. I'm not going to get to be happy all the time. And that's okay.
Can you give an example? Like, you know, if there was an obligation, clean the house or sit and watch TV, it was like, well, I'm going to watch TV because that's what I want to do. That's enjoyable. You know, I've earned it by going to work. But then like two days later, my house is a mess. And it's like, well, I don't want to clean. Like I can, I almost had this toddler mentality a little <laughs> bit still of like, because yes. I really hadn't grown up. You know, yeah. I started drinking when I was 14. You know, at meetings, I heard like whatever age you started drinking is what age you are emotionally. I just didn't realize that I was already a grown up and that people weren't going to be there to do stuff for me, you know? No. And I worked with a individual therapist too. Like I was Mm -hmm. like, I need more help than AA. That was also super crucial. I started that right when those emotions started coming up months two and three, I was like, okay, we got some stuff to to (laughs) uncover. I did that too. I've done it as well. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't know how I couldn't have. I've been so stuck in my head in recovery. And all of a sudden I get a text or a phone call from someone that needs help. And I'll think my first thought is like, but I have nothing to offer right now. You know, like I, I, how can I help someone? I feel like a mess. And then as soon as I start talking to them, it's like, oh my God, that's actually just what I needed. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I needed to stop to get out of my head. And then I, I then I can finally see clearly again, like, no, like you're okay. Everything's okay. You didn't pick up a drink today. So you do have something to to offer. So, you know, like you do know how to live life sober and you can help someone else. So service work continues to be crucial for me because I get so stuck in my head, you know, and I can't see it. Same with addiction. I can't, I I don't realize how stuck I am until I get out of it again. And then it's like, oh, like the blinders come off and it's like, Oh, wow. Yeah, that was a, (laughs) that was, you know, I was really in there and I really needed to get out. It boils down to that willingness to do the things that we don't want to do. Right. And having done that for a period of time, I also have a knowing that if I do the things that I don't want to do, I'm going to feel a lot better and operate better in the world. Right. But they told me like, if when you come into A, if you were to make a list of all the things you want in life, your goals, your dreams, your hopes, like if you stick around, it will surpass that, you know, like it'll be things that you couldn't have even imagined. I just could have never thought coming in, you know, dealing that hopeless, useless, that this would be where my story would end up just putting together one day at a time sober. It's really amazing. Or at least 30 days at a time. 30 yeah, days 30 at a time. <laughs> Allie? You make recovery attractive. I'm just, I'm oh. <laughs> I'm lifted by having had this conversation with you. Thank you so much for joining I'm us. I'm so glad. Me too. Thank you, Allie. Thank you. It's time to look in the mailbox and see what's arrived. Um, Do, do you mean the inbox, Don? The, the inbox. We got an email from Lisa L. in Smith Mountain Lake, Virginia. Just wanted to send a note of thanks for all the work you guys do on the podcast. It's been difficult to get to meetings recently, and I've really appreciated being able to listen to the podcast while driving around and working at home. It's really a blessing. I'll be sad when I catch up on all the episodes with a little smiling, sweaty emoji tear thing going on there. Lisa, (laughs) thank you so much for writing in. Thanks, Lisa. The Grapevine is looking for your story submissions, Midlife Sobriety. 
Stories are due April 15th, 2023. Share about some of the challenges you've had after 8, 10, 20 years sober. Have you ever nearly relapsed? Did you ever stop going to meetings or disconnect from AA? Have you ever been a dry drunk? How did you get back on track? What helped you may help someone else. Share your story by April 15, 2023 via aagrapevine.org/share. Hi, my name is Val, Val Mick. I'm calling from Vancouver, British Columbia, with a joke. Patton staggered home very late after another evening with his drinking buddy. He took off his shoes to avoid waking his wife, Kathleen. He tiptoed as quietly as he could toward the stairs leading to their upstairs bedroom, but misjudged the bottom step. As he caught himself by grabbing the banister, his body swung around and he landed heavily on his rump. A whiskey bottle in each back pocket broke and made the landing especially painful. Managing not to yell, Patton sprung up, pulled down his pants, and looked in the hall mirror to see that his butt cheeks were cut and bleeding. He managed to quietly find a full box of Band-Aids and began putting a Band-Aid as best he could on each place he saw blood. He then hid the now almost empty Band-Aid box and shuffled and stumbled his way to bed. In the morning, Patton woke up with searing pain in both his head and butt, and Kathleen staring down at him. She said, you were drunk again last night, weren't you? Patton said, why would you say such a mean thing? Well, Kathleen said, it could be the open front door. It could be the broken glass at the bottom of the stairs. It could be the drops of blood trailing through the house. It could be your bloodshot eyes, but mostly, it's all about those band-aids stuck on the hall mirror. (laughs) (laughs) it's really not that funny thanks for joining us the aa grapevine half hour variety hour is posted every monday and is produced by aa grapevine inc we don't speak for aa as a whole we share the experience strength and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Folks, we're including an outtake with Allie where she talks about problems other than alcohol. In recognition of our singleness of purpose, Tradition 5, we did not include it in the regular portion of the show. We feel this will be helpful to include because so many AA members have this experience. All right, Allie. So that's the end of the official recording. Okay. (laughs) Um, But at this point, we also like to ask our guests, is there something that you didn't get to talk about that you want to talk about? Yeah, well, so my sobriety date from alcohol is the August 8th, 2016. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if we could get into this, because, but I was also using drugs. Okay. So my sobriety date from all controlled substances is May 20th, 2017. So like, that's the date that I get a coin for 
that was when I actually started working the sponsor, you know, um, what were you using? I was smoking weed. Mm-hmm. Weed was almost daily. And then yeah. I was really getting into, um, Adderall, which I do not have a prescription for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I yeah. really liked being up, you know, and I was talking about cleaning yeah. my house. Like I really liked, and I'm a mom. It's like, and, and then I would take Xanax to come down from it. And nice. so, okay. <laughs> right. I had to have both. Better living through modern chemistry. <laughs> yeah. So my last drink was in 2003, mm-hmm. but in 2012, I reset my sobriety date because I used poppers and diet pills in a way that's mm. not sober for me. Right. I, I get right. what you're talking about. Yeah. And... It was like the alcohol had to come first. Yes. I mean, that was going to kill me, like kill me. It, mm-hmm. I mean- I was so sick physically too. It was just awful. The the drugs, they they hadn't progressed to the point alcohol was at all. You know, like in my mind, it was like, I'm still in control of this. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so grateful that I stopped when I did because I have no doubt it was it was going to take me to the exact same place or it was going to cause me to start drinking again. That's mm-hmm. the stories that I hear. Sure enough. Right. It was the same thing. It was me not still not living life on life's terms, still mm-hmm. not wanting to deal with emotions, still not wanting to be a grown up and do things even though they weren't fun. Yeah. 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 Yeah.